this week. Uh, we hope you enjoy a little break this Labor Day weekend. I know uh, we had a good time with my brother yesterday and, and looking forward to another kind of relaxing day tomorrow. But as we move into our looking at the Word together and listening for the voice of the Spirit together, uh, we're in the middle of the fifth chapter. And at this place, Paul turns his attention on, a, I believe, what he felt was one of the most critical units of healthy churches, healthy communities, and healthy societies. He turns his attention onto the family, and not just the family, but this morning he turns his attention on what it means to be the strongest married couple you can be. And so he has some lessons to share with us, and as he does this, I know some of this teaching has been some of the more controversial in all the New Testament. But we're going to jump into it. We're going to see how what Paul writes wasn't just applicable in his world, but how it still can help us have the best marriage and relationships in today's world. Because, you know, there's an awful lot of struggle out there when it comes to marriage. You know, just look around. All the people in Hollywood or in the music industry that we call idols have struggled so much in their relationships, right? Like Sylvester Stallone is just in the midst of a divorce. You know, we never thought Rocky would get a divorce, you know. Uh, Kanye West and Kim K. And, uh, you know, we could go on and on. Brad and Angelina Jolie. I mean, it just seems like one after another. And their struggles can be our struggles. You know, nobody's got a perfect marriage, but Paul tries to help us navigate the kind of relationship that can last a lifetime. And so let's see how he shares that with us. Starting in the 21st verse, this is what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. But husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me. Come, Lord Jesus, we seek to lift you up. We seek to find you in the words of the printed page, which have been etched down over the ages through Paul and others. Now, Lord Jesus, help shape our marriages and our lives after your heart 
because when we allow you to do that, you will withhold no good thing. So I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now I know in the 21st century, kind of first reactions by many of us, men and women included, but maybe especially the ladies out there, you, know, you kind of hear this passage of Scripture and you say, oh no, not this passage. I didn't really want to hear this passage. Because we know how much this passage has been abused. But brothers and sisters, as we talk about it today, um, I, I want to reframe it for you just a bit. Because it's the very first verse, the first verse which we talked about just a hair last week, that frames the whole idea of marriage and family and how the household works. It's the first verse that is the key to unlocking the whole thing. And the first verse says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we mentioned last week, one of the outflowings of a spirit-filled life, a spirit-empowered life, is when we have relationships, we're able to make those relationships healthy by a, a call to mutual submission. Mutual submission. Men to women and women to men. And so as Paul explains for us what this looks like in the family home with, with husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, that's the paradigm we're to use, okay? Because if you notice here, Paul talks to us men twice as long and twice as much as he talks to the ladies. Do you catch that? If you don't catch that, then you're missing it. Because he is, he is framing here how husbands submit to wives and wives submit to husbands. It's a mutual submission deal. That's what it says. I'm not making this up. So Now, in component of that, he starts with the wives. And in the ancient world, what he shares here would have been kind of expected. I mean, it, it wasn't any new news. In the ancient world, men tend to have more educational opportunities. They tend to have been trained how to kind of run the household at kind of a higher level in some ways. And so it was expected that a man would take a leadership role in the family. And so as a result, when it talks about the wives and, and ladies, it says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, because the husband's the head of the wife. And so you should submit in similar ways. Now, I want to start, I'll read a little passage of interpretation about this by Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman is the author of Five Love Languages. If you've never looked at the Five Love Languages, uh, it's, it's kind of a key resource for married couples, because if you haven't figured out your spouse's love language or your boyfriend or girlfriend's love language, and you're looking at a long-term relationship, then, then you need to figure that out, because that can be very helpful. Um, but this is what he says about these verses. He says, The biblical concept of a man as the head of the house has perhaps been the most exploited concept of the Bible. Christian husbands full of self-will have made all kinds of foolish demands of their wives under the authority of the Bible says. Headship does not mean that the husband has the right to make all the decisions and just inform the wife of what is going to be done. That is unthinkable if one looks seriously at the model of God the Father and God the Son. Now, did you catch there at the end, he talks about the model of God the Father and God the Son. 
if, this is my case to us, the healthiest human relationships are relationships of mutual submission, whether it's friendships, whether it's coworkers, whether it's spouses. Mutual submission is the model for healthy human relationships. And if that's the right model, then we should expect to see that model lived out by God. And that's what he's talking about here. If we look, say, at John's gospel, you notice in John's gospel, Jesus will say things like this. I have seen what the Father is doing, and I join the Father in what the Father is doing, so that whatever the Father wants done, I and him, we do it together. There is a togetherness there. And then later on, he'll say things like, and the Father has entrusted everything to me, the Son. Because we're in this relationship, the Father trusts the Son to do what the Son has to do on earth. And so if you look closely, especially in John's gospel, you see this Holy Spirit, uh, God the Father, God the, the Trinitarian relationship is a relationship of mutual submission. The Father submits to the Son and entrusts Him with responsibility. The Son submits to the Father and does whatever the Father is leading Him to do. The Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son both. And in the midst of all this, there is a head of the Trinity, and that head is the Father. Because Paul writes, and in other places, you know, Jesus says there are some things even I don't know, but the Father knows, right? And so there is a headship in the Trinity. The headship belongs to the Father, but in relationship, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they mutually submit to one another to accomplish the work of the living God in the world. So if that's the case for God, it should be also the case for us as well. And so what, uh, what uh, Gary Chapman points out for us today is that in the family life, uh, there are two people, right? There's the husband and the wife. Now, right now, we also have a very divided Senate, correct? We've got roughly 50 on one side and 50 on the other. If there's a tie in the Senate, who casts the deciding vote? The vice president. All right, in the home, there is a husband and a wife. If, if in the rare one or two percent of decisions in the life, and like I'm trying to think in my own family, times where I have made a decision where I totally disagreed with Andrea or we weren't on the, it's like hardly ever, right? <laughs> You're talking one or two percent. In those one or two percent of the times, the Bible says, you know, let the guy have that tie-breaking vote. That's basically what it's all about, right? Um, it is. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they're saying here. It's the guy has the tie-breaking. And the reason for that is, one, I believe, you know, as men, we often, we struggle to take the lead. I know in my own relationship with Andrea, you know, there are times where I'm sure she'd be like, man, I wish Chris would just move forward and help us decide and let's just get on with this, right? Oftentimes, as guys, we want to hide in the background. If you don't believe it's true, look in the very first story of Adam and Eve, right? The serpent comes to Eve and tries to talk her into this fruit stuff that God the Father has already said is off limits. Where's, where's Adam in all this? He's hiding. He doesn't want to make a decision. He doesn't want to step forward and tell the serpent, serpent, get out of town. And because the husband abdicates leadership, 
both Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation. And history has been repeating itself ever since. So, so women, you know, I mean, wouldn't you like your husband to be a healthy leader in the home with the key word maybe being healthy, right? Helping the family make healthy decisions. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. Help your husband lead spiritually in healthy ways. Help him lead the family in healthy ways. Help him lead, you know, whatever it is, help him lead. Because I can tell you there's something in us guys that when Andrea believes in me or when my kids believe in me or when my family members believe in me, then I feel like I can go conquer the world. But if, if the spouse is discouraging and tearing down and nicking and nagging and all those then it it's kind of the guy just feels like a rotten lump of uh you know overripe fruit or so i don't know uh you know it just there's something that strokes the male ego i think when a wife loves and respects her husband in in that kind of way that encourages leadership and i think that's what paul's talking about here But then, as I said, the real key, the real thing that would have kind of blown up the ancient world is not this first part. That's what they expected. What blew up the ancient world is how much time Paul spends on the second part. The second part has to do with us as guys and men in the marriage relationship. It's all on us. And it's a high calling that husbands, you're to love your wife just as Christ the Messiah loved the church and gave himself up for her. He was willing to die because he loved us, period. And husbands, our love is to run so deep that we are willing to take our spouse's place and go to the mat for our family. That kind of love. And so that's the real challenge uh, that that would have kind of turned the ancient world upside down. And that is the way that men are to mutually submit in the marriage relationship is by how they love their spouse. Uh, Again, Gary Chapman kind of helps us understand what love means because he would say oftentimes people would come into my counseling, you know, area and they'd say, well, you know, I just, I, I just don't feel it anymore for my wife or, you know, I don't feel it anymore. I just, I can't love them anymore. I'm done. And what he would say, he might reply something like this. He says, When the scriptures command husbands to love their wives, it is not a command to have warm, positive emotions toward her. Emotions cannot be commanded. We do not choose our emotions. What we do choose is our attitude and our behavior. And that is what is commanded of husbands. We are told to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This kind of love is self-sacrificing for the benefit of the loved one. Romans 5.8 states that God showed his love toward us and that while we were filthy and selfish and hateful, Christ died for us. As husbands, we do not wait for our wives to be loving toward us. With the help of God and the Holy Spirit, we take the initiative to love her even if She is not lovely. You see, the word for love here is, if you've been in church, you know what the word is, right? It's agape. It's agape, unconditional love. But the idea of agape love is not not the emotion and the passions and and all that kind of stuff. I, I was 
telling the early service today, you know, when I was in college at Georgia Tech, we had a term for the lovey-dovey couples in, in, in and around our Christian ministries or around campus. They were whipped. They were whipped. And when a couple was whipped, you know that very likely they'd end up engaged with, you know, much, without much longer than that. And, uh, and so that's the kind of thing we think of as love, is, is people that are whipped. And what Gary Chapman points out here is if that's what you're counting on to be married, you can kind of count on that for maybe a year or two at most. And after a year or two, you've got to actually love the other person and not just be whipped because the whipped isn't going to be there anymore. And what love is, is love is a choice. Probably the best advice I had as a, as a guy about to get married was by my campus crusade director at Georgia Tech. And, and he was kind of mentoring us some. And the thing he said is, Chris, the best advice I've ever got is choose your love. And then second, love your choice. Choose your love. Second, love your choice. And when you choose your love, then you go to the altar with them. All right, once you've gone to the altar with them, then it's up to you to love your choice. Day in and day out, week in and week out, time after time after, you know. And that's, that's the deal, right? The reason why, the principal reason why marriages don't last in today's society is because there comes a place where one person or other in the relationship decides to stop loving the other. They just, they just say, I can't do it anymore. Or I'm not going to do it. I don't know, you know. But whenever you reach that point, you are also reaching the point where you're unwilling to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when you put your marriage in that kind of place, it's hard, if not impossible, for it to survive. And many of you are models of this, right? Your marriages have gone the distance because you've learned how to mutually submit to one another, how to love one another in a way where you've made that love a choice for 20, 30, 40, 50, some of you, any 60-year, yeah, there's some 60-year ones, yeah, right? You've learned how to do this, right? I should let you come up here and preach on this. You know, I'm still at year 30. Yeah, year 30. So anyway, that's what Paul's talking about here, is this is the kind of love we're to have for each other, a love that chooses to put the other one first, a love that also um, values the other as their own body, a love that values the other as their own body. You know, Paul points out listen, guys, you're not going to talk bad about your own body. You're not going to beat up your own body. You're not going to harm your own body. You're going to cherish it. You're going to try to encourage yourself. You're going to try to help yourself be better. You're not going to destroy it. So what, what right does a husband think that they could beat up their wife or tear down their wife with their words or try to control their wife with, with manipulating and vice versa? right? What, what do you think wives that try to maybe manipulate their husband into this or that or the other thing and make him, you know, that's not what it's all about. If we wouldn't do that to ourselves, then why would we do that to our spouse? 
We have to love each other as if we're loving our very self because Paul says that's the reality. That's the reality in the church with Jesus that somehow Jesus is, is enmeshed with each of us here as the body of Christ and it's a mystery. We can't understand it, but, but there is that intimate relationship between us and Jesus that keeps us together in his love and grace. And that's the same quality that makes husband and wife one flesh. And that's what it's to be like. And so in this way, there, there, I think of two things that, that maybe uh, talk about this a little more. The first is making decisions, right? A, a husband would be incredibly foolish if they just make decisions on their own and never consult their wife. I mean, if that's your style of leadership, you're not going to be married long. You're just not. I mean, I would be a big dummy. I mean, Andrea to me is one of the most insightful, um, sensible, wise people on the planet. For me not to listen to her wisdom and ask her opinion on family decisions or parenting decisions or ministry decisions would just be crazy. It would be crazy. And so I just, I don't, I don't get those who, who just kind of go off and say, well, the family's doing this and I've decided it and I don't even care about what you think. I mean, I just, I don't see, I don't see how that can work. And I don't think that's what Paul's talking about by any means. The second thing about this I think of is I love, I think, te- I love team sports. You know, I've been a soccer coach for a long time. I love team sports because I think team sports can be if kids learn correctly, it can be a great place to learn um, how to be a part of a team. And if at its base root, a family is a team, right? And um, I think about this in terms, you know, whether it's UGA football and winning in the national championship. You know, as I said, I'm a big soccer fan, so I think about this more in terms of soccer. Um, for instance, in Atlanta, right in Atlanta's second year in existence in Major League Soccer they won the Super Bowl of MLS right we won it all we brought the championship home to the ATL Michael Parkhurst uh, who was the captain on that team he's now retired came and zoomed Risa Risa's the you know Rockdale soccer y'all know Risa right he came and zoomed over there and he told us a story about that season of, of soccer in Atlanta. And he said, you know, our first year together, we had this amazing soccer player who is on the, our team. He was like light years above everybody else and his name was Miguel Almaron. Now Miguel is now playing soccer in England because he's that good. But he said that first year, Miguel you know, he was, everybody knew he was the best guy on our team. And the problem is, is everybody on our team knew he was the best guy on our team. In other words, he knew he was the best and he made sure everybody else knew he was the best. And because of that, the team could not be the best. Because you see great leaders in sports, whether it's a Tom Brady or Drew Brees or, you know, uh, Gosh, Freddie Freeman, great team members find ways not just to do what they do at a high level, but great leaders 
raise everybody else up on the team too. They help bring out the best in all their teammates. And Michael Parkhurst said that year he, he worked and the team worked with Miguel Almarone specifically to help him realize, yes, we know you're the best guy on the team, but what you do and how you do and how you communicate and how you talk and how you, how you care for your brothers on this team, it makes a difference. And right now what you're doing is making this team dysfunctional. But if we can get you to lead at a high level where what you do brings the weakest player on our team up three levels, then we're going to be good. And the next year, 2019, they came out and they were the best team in Major League Soccer. And that's what Paul's talking about here, right? Husbands, love your wives in a way that brings out the best in her that makes her a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives. And so that's what God is calling us to. As husbands and wives, how can we make each other better? Paul's answer to that is submit to one another out of reverence for your love of Jesus. Paul's call in that is each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Those are Paul's answers. And I think even in the 21st century, I think they're still pretty darn good answers. And so I challenge you today, how are things going in your relationship? How are y'all doing it, honoring one another and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? I close uh, with this story. This story comes out of Gary Chapman's book, and it's a story about uh, a fellow named Josh, and his wife's name is Candace. And they're in the military. They were a military family. Josh had been in the military for 15 years, and he started to get the itch. And the itch was to get out and start his own business. He had this great idea for a business, thought it would work tremendously, but his wife, Candace, was not so sure. She's like, you know, do more research. Let's, let's figure out if this would work or not. And, and so uh, he went out and he talked to another guy who had done a similar business to this. And the other guy said, yeah, it's a great business, but I almost destroyed my marriage. I had to work so hard at the business in the early stages. And jo- Josh kind of just, you know, threw that to his eye. You know, Candace and I, we get along really well. It, it won't be an issue. And he just, he was ready to go. But as he talked it over with Candace, she kept uh, saying how much she enjoyed military life, how much it worked for their family and their children. And she just, she just wasn't quite sure that, that leaving the military after 15 years was the right thing to do. And as Josh thought about it, one day he heard a preacher get up and preach, and this is what the preacher said. He said, you know, God gave us a lot of guidance when he gave us wives. God gave us a lot of guidance when he gave us wives. And Josh replied, it was like God, the voice of God to me. I realized that Candace was giving me genuine wisdom, but it was my selfish ambitions that were pulling me in the other direction. So I made the decision to stay in the military, and I'm sure now that it was one of the best decisions I ever made. He ended up staying in the military 27 years, so like another 12 years. And as he did, uh, he was able to start a ministry with his wife 
helping other young military families find strength and joy and hope in their marriage. And he realizes now that if he had jumped out and started his business, he would have missed out on an incredible opportunity to help other young families find God's best for their lives. But because he listened to the wisdom of his wife, because he submitted to her as much as he submitted to him, they were able to figure out what God's best was and live for his glory. And may we do the same, whether you're here today or watching online. May you find God's best and submit to one another out of your love and out of respect for Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I lift us up today just to pray that we might hear your heart that the healthiest of human relationships are when we submit to each other out of our love for you, Jesus. And that's hard to live out. It's hard to practice. There are times where we get ornery with each other. Sometimes maybe we get ornery with you, Lord. But uh, bring us back. Teach us the way. Fill us with your spirit in a way that will help maximize the marriages in this community your glory. Help us learn the path of submitting to one another, loving one another, and respecting one another for God's glory. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us in this task, but you show us the way. In the name of the